This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It's July 9th, 1993, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. So it's 7pm on the 9th of July 1993, and if you're sitting down of an evening for some televisual entertainment, you have these choices. On ITV, a repeat of Through the Keyhole. On BBC Two, you can join in for the final quarter of the 1956 film The Beast of Hollow Mountain. And on BBC (laughs) One, the final episode of the BBC's costliest ever flop, the soap opera El Dorado. It was ending after just one year, and it had been commissioned as the BBC, well, trying to see if lightning could strike twice, because they'd had an enormous hit with EastEnders in the ten years prior. 30 million viewers tuned in to the EastEnders Christmas special in 1986, which is kind of like, you know, Queen Elizabeth coronation numbers. But aside from a kind of audience ratings success, they were trying to justify at the time, as happens with the BBC every decade or so, why the government should continue funding the BBC. And one of the things they wanted to prove, really, in the charter renewal with the Conservative government at the time was they are relevant to a growing number of people. The only way you could show growth was by creating what, in non-BBC terms, you'd call a commercial hit. And they had an actual competition to see what was the best idea for a soap opera that could fill this slot three times a week, the old Terry Wogan slot on BBC One. And it is a good idea. You know, the idea of El Dorado, for anyone who hasn't seen it, is a bunch of Brits abroad living in Spain, having fun times with a whole lot of European people who drop in and and visit them. That was the premise. Part of me thinks that that could have worked if they had stuck very strictly to the premise that it was going to be about British expats abroad. Mm. But then, according to some of the people behind the scenes, the commercial powers that be suddenly thought, well, wait a minute, we can sell this all over Europe if it's set in Spain, it's got international cast. So they pushed more European characters to the forefront, including some who weren't actually actors. And also, on top of that, like, you know, that English wasn't necessarily the most natural well or they were speaking in the show in spanish or german yeah and so then that meant subtitles at 7 p.m on bbc one which the british audience just weren't ready for yeah but i think if they <laughs> fully embraced it i mean look at the success of benedorm i mean I know, yeah. I know that is a sitcom but like there's content to be mined from the concept of you know a little england expats abroad that kind of thing it didn't help as well that the bbc was so desperate to get it out there launched as soon as possible that they pushed the production so hard that they apparently at points didn't have time to do second takes which really does show in the acting i'm guessing rebecca you've been on youtube because you were two when this was on air so this <laughs> is not the memories of your first saw, viewing I'm, is it <laughs> I watched the first episode on YouTube and the the sound design really does stand out. It's so incredibly echoey that mm. it really just mm. it almost sounds like a raw footage documentary. 
yeah, exactly what you mean. It looks like behind-the-scenes footage, doesn't it? Like when someone's filmed it on a camcorder. Yeah, and even though there were things that they corrected as they went along, actually the sound design wasn't one of them because the only bit of this show that I've seen is the very end, that like literally the last scene. So hold on, so Rebecca's seen the first ever episode and you've seen the last ever episode and I'm the only person to watch an episode of El Dorado, is that right? <laughs> but the sound right at the end is woeful, so that's one of the things that they definitely didn't manage to fix. Well, do you know the reason that the sound is terrible? They built a town in Spain to film the thing in. So the idea is, this is Brits living in the Costa del Sol. It was a fictional town, Las Barcas, on the Costa El Dorado, which is really the Spanish town of Coen. <laughs> but the point is, they built all the sets for real. On the back of the success of EastEnders, which not until, I think, the last decade have they had uh, high-definition permanent sets for that, on the back of EastEnders having shoddy sets from the beginning where the walls shook and stuff and then it became this massively popular thing, they were like, let's let's build a proper set. Let's not film the interiors in a studio and then have to like do what they did in Neighbours and get a real street to be the exterior because then you've got to keep asking for permission all the time. This is going to be a huge hit. Let's spend <laughs> £2 million building a Spanish village. And that's what they did. So the swimming pool was real, the shop was real, the bar was real, all the apartments are actual apartments that they got Spanish contractors to build to look like a real Costa del Sol village. Except guess what? If you were going to build a town in the Costa del Sol, you'd need more than £2 million. Like £2 million <laughs> is a lot for a soap opera set budget. It's not a lot to build a town. That £2 million set didn't go entirely to waste, though, because it's now what I can only imagine to be one of Europe's most expensive paintballing destinations. I mean, what an epic place to go paintballing. I've been when it was a studio tour. When Tell I was us. Ten. No. Yeah. Long wow. after the show ended, for about 10 years, British tourists could go and tour the El Dorado sets. You must have been there anyway. You, sure, you surely wouldn't have made that a destination that you set out to that go is, to. That is true. It turns out that if you take an autumn half-term break to Marbella, yeah, it's a bit of a risk with the weather then. So, you know, mid-October, you do find yourself with not much else to do but talk the Eldorado sets on a rainy day. And it was interesting because some of the Spanish crew that had worked on the show were still there. I mean, they lived there, obviously, and were now working in this museum to Eldorado. And what was considered a massive flop for the BBC i.e. it didn't get the 10 million viewers they wanted, it was averaging 2 million viewers for the first couple of months. It's still a hell of a load of people, like when you consider how many Brits go to Marbella on holidays. It was enough to fund a proper tourist destination for quite a while. Yeah, and I mean, by 1993, when the new BBC One controller, Alan Yentob, decided to pull the plug, the ratings had actually risen a lot to about 8 million, but it was kind of too little too late at that point. But there is a small but vocal fandom, of which you may or may not be a part, Ollie, that continues to call for its revival. I wouldn't call myself part of the fandom. (laughs) I'd call you vocal. (laughs) The thing is, though, you can say it was a huge flop, and obviously financially it was. One year, all right, that sounds bad, but that was still 156 episodes. It was going out three times a week. Mm. Plus, a delegation actually marched on the BBC when the announcement came through that they were going to be cancelled. And people turned up. People physically turned up to say, we don't think that this show should be cancelled. Yeah, but there were only four channels to choose from back then. I mean, really, like, (laughs) I don't think that would happen now. I think it would have a cult following now. But that's the thing, you'd be able to track it now, wouldn't you? You'd be able to see on social media. Perhaps there is an element of, you know, tall poppy syndrome going on. Like, people love neighbours in the UK, but that's Australians who I feel at some subconscious level we feel are entitled 
entitled to live a life in the sun by the pool <laughs> and that maybe people really didn't have the ability to identify with these characters who were living in Spain. I mean, when I was watching it, and I think this is probably, you know, residual lockdown trauma talking, I, I did feel good when I was watching those yeah. sun-soaked, shoddily constructed villas. Mm. I wonder if people just thought at the time that they, they genuinely couldn't identify with these people going and living in the sun. Well, there was a good deal of Australian bitterness as well. According to Digital Spy, Rupert Murdoch was keen to buy El Dorado in the very early days. And because his efforts to acquire it were rebuffed, apparently he turned his tabloids guns on it. So it had this huge disadvantage right from the get-go because the tabloids were all slamming it and either refusing to review it or reviewing it badly. If you could bring back any cancelled TV show, what would it be? You bet. I mean, it's probably terrible, but it's what I watched every Saturday night when I was a child. It was Bruce Forsyth, or in latter years, Matthew Kelly, taking like a a world record-breaking contestant. So someone would come on and they'd say, I can recite the incidental roads off the A127. Just point at a map and I'll tell you what they are. Uh, And then the celebrity panel would say whether they thought he could or couldn't achieve this incredible aim and bet money (laughs) and if he won the bet he won the money as well as the record sounds good i think i'd bring back oh well this wasn't cancelled but it just ended but i think i'd bring back press gang which was a classic russell t davies amazing show about kids running their own newspaper probably the thing that made me want to be a journalist in the first place that was my next question you must be so disappointed that life isn't like press gang oh my god life isn't like any journalism drama unfortunately (laughs) Um, life as an expat is a bit like el dorado i mean that's another reason why ultimately it probably failed is that essentially (laughs) life as an expat in the costa del sol is undramatic for soap purposes isn't it i mean there is shaggy going on which they hint at there is a little bit of soft money laundering you know where do you get that cash from but it's not the business of full-blown soap opera is it with cars exploding and you know people cheating on each other and young love it doesn't really happen when a load of retirees go to Tenerife. (laughs) Rebecca what would your show be? It's actually another Julia Sawala classic Arian. Mm. When I was at uni I became very emotionally dependent on watching Lark Rise to Candleford and I feel like I watched each episode to death now. And with its mm. tiny twists and turns, like yeah. entire episodes will be about a shilling has gone missing from a letter, but then they find yeah, it yeah. again. The sheep's dead, but it isn't. The man comes to town. What's his secret? Oh, it's that he's an atheist and he's the new school teacher. <laughs> that kind of storyline. And I just, I'd love to regain that sense of peace all over again. Next time. Stop talking about baseball. We're talking too much about baseball. The exciting thing that happened had to do with disco, everyone. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.